When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan, and I used to be an academic. Until about a year ago, I was teaching English literature at Georgetown University. Now I'm a journalist covering technology and culture for Slate. My own career transition left me fascinated with the ways that we work, not just what people do for a living, but how they do their jobs. And that's what we'll be talking about here on Working. For this week's episode of Working, we're talking with Tom Knoll, a landscape designer based here in D.C. who wants his yards to be expressions of their homeowners' personalities. We visited his own home in Bloomingdale, a neighborhood full of yards decorated by his characteristically quirky designs. And in a Slate Plus Extra, we'll learn about Tom's children's books, which encourage kids to recycle and care about the environment. What's your name and uh, what do you do? Uh, My name is Tom Knoll and I'm a landscape designer. When you start a new landscape design project, uh, when you sit down with a client, uh, how do you start that conversation about what they're looking for and what you're going to do? Well, number one thing is how much time do you want to spend in your yard or how much money do you want to spend in your yard? I mean, you know, a big thing is, is do you want it just to look nice and that's it? You don't want to spend any time. You want a low maintenance yard. A lot of clients that I uh, look at their yard and then say they're never going to take care of it. So we (laughs) automatically go, you want a really low maintenance yard, don't you? It's like, and they go from there. Uh, I'd like to uh, talk about their interest, uh, what colors they like, what uh, plants they like, if they have a selection of plants or things like that, uh, how big of a space they've got, whether it's a sunny spot, a shady spot, different things like that. Yeah, you know, when you're landscaping somebody's house, you really want to get across to them that the landscaping is really a part of them. That's what people see before they see you. How do you want to come across to those people? Or do you just want uh, simple landscaping that doesn't matter? Or do you want to portray your personality? One client had uh, kids, and they wanted to be able to sit on the porch and watch the kids from the yard. And they just had a small little yard there. So we came up with a couple pieces of slate that they could use as a foundation and put larger stones all the way around. So the kids actually sit there and play with chalk and stuff on the things, and then surrounded by plants. 
You work primarily in Bloomingdale, which is a very specific DC neighborhood. How does that context influence the kind of design choices you make and the ways you think about your work? Bloomingdale is basically a lot of row houses. So you've got tiny little yards in the front, which are, you know, very interesting. Uh, Some people choose to do just nothing but grass. Some people will pave it over. With the two and three story houses, you don't want anything that tall that's really going to take away from the structure. You want to enhance the structure instead of like take away from it with your design aspects as far as plants go. The house and the size of the yard and those kind of existing structural elements that you can't change shape where you go from there exactly you don't want anything that's overwhelming i mean if your window's right at the the level of that do you really want a tree in front of your window or or if you're how can i have a tree you want something that is more uh trainable like a weeping cherry or something like that uh you don't want to put a crepe marlin in front of your window there Uh, in two or three years you're not going to be able to see out without pruning it how do you present the design to them what's that part of the process the biggest thing is I show them pictures, but also if they walk around with me in the neighborhood where the park is and up and down a few streets, I could show them about uh, 30 to 40 projects that I've done and just uh, little row houses and the condos and stuff. So they get an idea and a feel for what I can do. Then I can go and ask them about what plant do you like out of any of these yards here? Because I try to use different plants in each yard. So these are the low maintenance plants. These are the high maintenance plants. Uh, so they can see a little bit of everything. It's like a nursery in, in a couple blocks. <laughs> if, if you are showing them pictures, is that do you draw pictures? Do you have photographs of existing projects? I'll draw pictures. I'll show projects that I've done. But it's kind of hard to get the, the feel of the landscaping when you're doing a project. I mean, that's the reason I really like to have them come over and see my work. Because it's just not looking at it from the front. It's, you know, designing and placing the tree and pruning the tree is from every aspect. I mean, I'm thinking of it when you look out the window, what it's going to be like. What are you looking at from the street? And whether you're looking at it from the left side or the right side, it's a 360-degree thing. Whereas it's not just... And with a picture, you just see that one angle of it. Do you ever build models? No. It, it, usually I could, I could just draw it on paper, sketch it out, uh, an idea of, of... On the paper, I'll sketch it out while, while we're there. I'll just sketch out, here's the design, here's this. Here's what I kind of think might work for you. And a lot of it is whether they want a patio, um, you know, whether they want walkways or something. You know, like uh, uh, I had a client that just had a small backyard, but she really wanted an earthy feel. So for me, uh, it was really kind of fun. I love, and she loved sound. So we did a water feature in her yard. We had the the chimes and all of that. But we also uh, chose to do a pea graph path in there which we put about uh, two inches of pea gravel, which actually the texture, the sound of the pea gravel when you're walking on it, really, uh, she loved that. Uh, let's talk about the process. Um, how do you source your materials? Uh, where do you get the plants and the stones uh, and the other elements that you work into your designs? One of the things is, what the, the first step is with, with the client, number one, is... Uh, Looking at their area and seeing what what they need. Uh, most of the time, the most of the ones that come to me, they've never done anything or it really needs a lot of work. In some cases, you could prune some of the stuff and bring it back, but do they want to wait for that? Uh, other cases, if the plants are struggling now, usually it needs some conditioning in the soil. So usually, what I recommend is adding uh, a soil mix to the ground. When you're working with a blank slate, say somebody wants. Uh, total redo, 
you're basically having to kill off the plants. So basically, if you've got a lot of crabgrass, uh, ivy or something like that that you really want to kill off, you really want uh, to do a roundup. And just because it's, uh, depending on the time of year, you could do roundup. It's a process. You want to really want to knock down the ivy with a weed whacker. And once the new ivy comes up, once that starts to come up and sprout, then you spray it with the Roundup. Once you clear the yard, then I, then I go to the nursery. Uh, a lot of my clients, I tell them, I said, we can go to Home Depot. Uh, I can uh, get some of the prices even cheaper at Home Depot and then just work on my design fees a little higher because I don't have the markup on all the plants. Uh, you also use a lot of rocks and sometimes even other kind of construction elements right. like rebar in your yeah. work. Where do those come from? Those all come from uh, landscaping companies, uh, wholesale places, yes, for stone and, and slate, different things like that, yes. So can you walk us through then the the step-by-step uh, installation uh, process right. for a project? We've, we've cleared the land. <laughs> we have uh, our plants. Uh, we have right. the stones and presumably other stuff like mulch and, right, and exactly. such. What goes in first? What's your first step uh, on a, a big project? The first step is getting the uh, structure part of it. If they wanted a little uh, slate patio or whether they wanted something there, uh, placing the stones because they're the heaviest part of it. And then the bushes, the trees first, then the bushes, if you're going with that, and then the flowers afterwards. And then basically digging the holes. Usually by that time you've had the soil condition, so you're just basically putting in the plants. Do you uh, do all of that work yourself? Uh, or do you have other people that work with you? I kind of want to be there because in the, in the small yards, I, I've picked out the trees personally, and I know exactly how I want them angled out or, or this or that. So it's like, I, I mean, I've got people that I work with that I can say, okay, I want this exactly here, and then I can go on to another project. But yeah. I, I kind of oversee it, and I'll come back, and if it's not placed right, I'll still move <laughs> a few inches <laughs> if it's not exactly where I wanted it. So yeah. when you're planting a tree, uh, what goes into that in particular? One of the things when you're planting a tree is that a lot of the things when you get, get out of the pot, uh, you really want to take a, a like a knife or a, a mat knife or something like that and really cut the slice the roots so it's out of the when it comes out of the pot the roots are really inbound in the in the plastic container so you really want to loosen those up so it goes out. One of the things is too is that the biggest number one thing for people to uh, keep their garden going is to uh, when they water water the plants. They're so used to being watered on just the pot, so it just gets on the pot. And people, when they tend to water, they water just on the plant. Well, what you want to do is water a circle around the container of the, the plant so the roots go out and into that and, and water circles around instead of where the plant is. And that it, it makes common sense. And when I tell you that, it kind of makes sense. It's like, okay, the roots are going to grow out. The more roots there are, the more it's going to acclimate itself to it. Where if you water where the root is, the roots go right back into where the root is. So it's a lot harder. Getting ahead of ourselves a little here, but okay. what goes into educating your clients about how to take care of the yard uh, that you've designed and installed for them? Educating them—that's that's a—that's a—that's a hard thing. It really doesn't. It never—it never comes around that well. Uh, usually, I, I maintain it for at least three months after the project. Uh, you know, watering and weeding in that bit, and then usually they decide that they don't want to do anything at all, so they'll usually hire me to maintain it for the rest of the year. But again, at that point I'll, I'll go by and, and I'm, I'm walking in the neighborhood all the time. So I'm, I'm seeing the yards that I do. So it's like, if they need to water, I'll sometimes knock on the door, give them a call and say, or I'll grab the hose and water myself. Like... So to return, 
to return to the installation process, uh, what are the most challenging uh, elements to install in a yard? Uh, I would say the the soil conditions is, is the the number one thing, and, and it depends on whether they, you know, some people don't realize that when you go digging in there, that there might be a uh, they might have been a cement slab under there. It looks like there was nothing there, but uh, there's a little bit of dirt there. And I had one project where it was like I, I we were doing this landscaping, and uh, you know, just there was mulch, there was dirt and mulch, and a few plants. And we got digging down, and me and a couple of workers, and it was a whole cement slab under there. So, so we had to readjust whether they wanted to, you know, I had the plants and everything. We were ready to, we were ready to go. And it was a, it was a cement slab over the whole eight by 10 area. So we decided to do some container gardening instead. What's your favorite part of the installation process? The finishing. I mean, it's, when it's done and looking at it and seeing that, oh, that's exactly. And sometimes it comes out better than what I thought it would. How do you get to that point? What's the last thing that you do at a property? See if the clients like it. <laughs> and hopefully they do. Yeah. Have you ever had an experience where they don't, where you had to rework uh, what you were doing? Actually, I haven't. Well, what, what I do, too, is and I do it a little bit differently, too. Is I, Once I get the plants, I take them over there and I'll place them along with the rocks before I ever put them in the ground and say, what do you think of this? And we'll talk. And it's like, if you want it over a little bit, that's fine. Or, if you, you know, let's do this or this or this. But I usually do that before I actually place them in the ground, which saves me a lot of trouble. So that dialogue that you have at the beginning with them is ongoing throughout the, the installation process? Yeah, throughout the, throughout the process. I mean, if, if you don't, you're just uh, – and for me, it's, it's more of an artistic thing and communicating with them. Some of them just want it done and they don't want to talk. <laughs> They're busy schedules and stuff like that. They just, they, I know what you do is right and just do it. So is a project uh, ever truly, totally, and finally finished? It's never truly and totally finished because plants grow. I mean, you know, and you, a, lot of, a lot of houses, you know, in the little uh, the row houses and stuff that you want the plants small in, uh, they never want to spend, you never want to, they're never going to spend the money for dwarf plants and dwarf plants are the ones that are going to actually stay that size and not grow. I mean, you know, it's, it's nature, so it's going to grow. And if you don't prune the stuff, I could put it in one year and two years later, it could be a jungle if you're not going to prune it. So basically following up on it. I mean, I, I've put in gardens where it's like, oh my God, I'll go back a couple of years later and it's, and they, they've never done anything. And of course I've conditioned the soil and everything. So everything's growing. It's a huge jungle. You've been listening to landscape designer Tom Knoll. In a minute, you'll hear Tom talk about how he keeps his yards from growing into unsightly jungles. But first, this week's episode of Working is brought to you by Casper. Casper promises obsessively engineered mattresses that are made here in America. And they want to give you better nights and brighter days. You can try sleeping on a Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com working and using offer code working at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Slate has so many exciting shows happening, possibly even in your city. In April, you can see the Culture Gab Fest live in Manhattan. I would like to see that. Uh, Hang Up and Listen in D.C. I will definitely be seeing that. And the Political Gab Fest in Atlanta. For more information on these and other shows, visit slate.com slash live. What sorts of maintenance do you do in a given day? If, if, you, if we're 
for looking at a day of your life where <laughs> you're not working with a client, you're not installing a new yard, uh, but you're going around and doing your maintenance. What's your day look like? First thing I do is uh, probably garbage bags in my pocket that I carry around all the time and, and just basically picking up the trash first and then the weeds. A day after it rains is when I'm out weeding. I mean, that's just uh, if I've got a few extra hours, uh, that's what I'm doing, walking around the, the neighborhood and the projects that I do and weeding because that's the soil's actually wet then and you can weed. Because what happens if you wait until the summer or when it's really dry, then you're, you're, the, weed, the roots aren't coming out, so you're just going to end up having to. And a lot of times I don't want to, you know, I don't want to use a lot of uh, chemicals. So it's a rainy day. You've got garbage bags in your pocket. <laughs> you head out and you're walking around the neighborhood. Exactly. What are you looking pulling for? Out, pulling out weeds. Anything that anything doesn't belong there. Anything that just in just, yards that you've worked on, or are you just looking for weeds generally? Uh, well, I all the yard the yards that I work on and maintenance are first, and then it's like eh, if there's some in the neighborhood, it's like if sometimes it'll drive me crazy if I go by a house and it's like there's that many weeds, and and again you have to ask. Uh, a lot of people don't want there. I had one neighbor there that I was cleaning up one time uh, about three years ago, and they got mad because I uh, cleaned up the leaves and the stuff in front of their house. So uh, we, <laughs> we don't, I, you don't assume anything anymore. <laughs> How did you get started in landscape design? I got started uh, very young. I was like 20 at the time and, and started doing interior, I mean, uh, exterior landscaping and stuff in Ohio. Arizona, then I was in Arizona for a while, and then I did interior and exterior landscaping there, working with cactus and things like that. Um, how do your clients first get in touch with you? Uh, they usually uh, j- just uh, see my little thing down there with the phone number on there, and they uh, call me. Most of the neighbors know me now, or their neighbors will say, you know, who did your yard or, and stuff like that. So, And I get about probably six or seven, eight, ten yards a year. So a lot, of it's, a, lot a lot of it's, of word, it's word, word of mouth. mouth. It's all word of mouth, yeah. How long does the project take from those first conversations to completion, usually? If the if the plants are available, and sometimes I can have it done in four or five days, uh, the little yards out front that I've got. Uh, you know, it just depends on the availability of the plants and the stones and, and the uh, workers. What's the usual cost of a project of the kind that you do here in Bloomingdale? Usually the cost of the project in Bloomingdale that I do in the in little, uh, like, uh, 8 by uh, 12, 8 by 15 yards can range from 800 to about uh, 1,400, depending on how many stones and how many ornamental trees they want. A lot of the ornamental trees are, you know, like a, a, a 6 or 8-foot Japanese maple can be $350. And then you add the stones on top of that. Some of the stones can be 30 or $40 a piece. So, so that's yeah. the cost of materials. That's the materials. Uh, the, my fee, the, most of the ones that I do, I would price around, and, and that fit, would be around thirteen to $1,500. Would have been, uh, that's stones, design part, uh, sculptures, everything put together, yeah. And installation as and well? installation, everything, yeah. How many projects do you have to have going for your business to be sustainable? I schedule out between the, the landscaping and then I work with uh, Dead Lily Landscaping, which really helps a lot. Uh, that's, uh, you know, subsidial income there. Uh, and, you know, she brings me in with uh, different pruning projects and things like that. Sometimes it's just sometimes bringing a house back is nothing but basically a drastic pruning project. Uh, you know, mulching and stuff like that. It's not a, a total disaster. I mean, there's been clients where they just say, I want it all done. And I'm like, well, 
give me a day and let me just prune some of this stuff and see if you don't like it better. And then they'll find that they don't really do anything. They might add some rocks. <laughs> so what's a pruning project look like? Can you walk us through that process? A pruning project is basically looking at the, the uh, tree or the bush that you're really going to prune. Whether it's uh, way overgrown or semi-overgrown. In a, in a shrub, you want to cut back the edges of it, but you also want to allow for what I'm pruning uh, the growth for this year. So when you're cutting it back, it's going to grow like two or three inches. So you really need to cut it back, but you don't want it to be bare. So wherever you can dig in there to get the shit, to get the size that you really want. But you really, when you're pruning it, you want it smaller than what you're pruning it at. It's it's basically you're you're playing God, <laughs> and and uh, you know shaping it uh, whether you want it in the shape of a chicken or or you know something like that. Like I've got some of the ones out there that I've made into peacocks and chickens in my yard. Uh, basically out of you plants, which are fairly easy to do. Uh, but uh, pruning is just basically controlling the uh, plant to the shape and the size that you want. So if someone wants to get started in landscape design, how do they begin? Uh, I, it's a passion for plants first, number one. And uh, learning about plants, uh, you, you know, just, uh, you know, you can volunteer, go to, go to, there's all kinds of uh, native plant societies now and stuff. That seems to be the new and upcoming thing. Uh, join a garden club. Uh, that's that's the number one thing. All garden clubs aren't like Grandma's Garden Club where you were doing flower arrangements. They still do that aspect of it and, and things like that. But there's a lot of involvement with community, and um, you know you get a lot of plants that way. Uh, you're there. Garden club people are always swapping plants. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com. And you can listen to all six seasons of Working at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by Mickey Capper. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai. And the chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers. In a Slate Plus Extra, Tom Knoll tells us about his children's books, Bicycle Fence and Selling Eggs. To sign up for Slate Plus, visit slate.com slash plus, where you can get a free two-week trial today. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.